0: For over 50 years, there was an inherent belief that you built the product where it was cheapest to produce in terms of labor and raw materials and had efficient transportation systems to bring that product into the market. But now that entire strategy has been shifted because companies are realizing that even if you produce in some of these uh, locations where it's cheaper to produce, you can be completely affected by what the government does in these other countries. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh business blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news.
1: Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is December 20th, 2022, and we're talking with Zach Zachariah about the biggest threats facing the global supply chain for the first quarter of 2023, as reported in the latest Lehigh Business Supply Chain Risk Management Index. Dr. Zachariah is an Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management and Director of the Center for Supply Chain Research at Lehigh. The Lehigh Business Supply Chain Risk Management Index, or LRMI for short, was developed in 2020 by the Center for Supply Chain Research at Lehigh University and the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. Zach teaches graduate and undergraduate courses in supply chain operations management and logistics and transportation. Welcome back to the Illuminate podcast, Zach. Thanks, Jack. Now, before we dive into the details of the latest Lehigh Business Supply Chain Risk Management Index, uh, looking at the first quarter of 2023, let's set the stage by looking back at what has certainly been an eventful year in 2022. Uh, just at the beginning of this month, for example, President Biden signed into law a bill passed by Congress to impose a contract deal on some 115,000 union workers that averted a railroad strike heading into the holidays. So I was hoping you'd give us just a brief primer on the role that rail service plays in, in the supply chain and why the strike would have had such a devastating impact on not just the supply chain, but the economy.
0: Yes, Jack. It is. Uh, it has been estimated that a rail strike would cost about two billion dollars a day directly to the U.S. economy. In fact, railroads are the most efficient transportation mode for moving heavy commodities that you know move in bulk over large distances. Say over nine hundred miles, nothing really can uh, compete with rail. Um, You know, when you're moving agricultural products, automobiles, heavy machinery, there is uh, nothing that can match the cost per ton mile. And also, in some sense, um, they are more uh, climate friendly, as they say, when you look at the uh, the ability to actually move very heavy goods. So um, this is a critical part of the economy. And, you know, one of the other things, that if you had a rail strike, you're also going to stop. Much of the commuter train traffic that, that travels because they also travel on freight rails. And if you stop, um, you know, the, uh, the major transportation uh, freight that, that gets moved on rails, it's going to stop many commuters from being able to go to their jobs across many large cities across the U.S.
1: Barring any unforeseen events, uh, Russia's war on Ukraine will mark its first anniversary in February during the first quarter of 2023. Now, the war has clearly been um, one of the most disruptive uh, things to happen to the supply chain over this past year, um, in addition to the, the tragic loss of life um, that's been involved there. So, what are the main ways that the war continues to disrupt the the global supply chain?
0: Well, to me the the first thing that really that people don't necessarily talk a lot about. I mean, you can see that clearly, you know, the prices of fuel has gone up. Uh, there's a lot of certain products, you know, you've got uh, uh, agricultural, you know, the Ukraine was the breadbasket and those kinds of things are 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 important to consider, but an even more important factor is that there has been a profound shift in the way we view globalization. For over 50 years, there was an inherent belief that you built the product where it was cheapest to produce in terms of labor and raw materials, then had efficient transportation systems to bring that product into the market. But now that entire strategy is has now been questioned, has been shifted, because companies are realizing that even if you produce in some of these Uh, locations where it's cheaper to produce, you can be completely affected by what the government does in these other countries. So this is a profound shift that happened when Russia invaded Ukraine. And so now, um, you know, companies are starting to look at other locations and maybe you know everyone is talking about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. but this has been an incredible challenge and one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, you know some of the labor shortages that we fear here in the U.S. but the war uh, in Ukraine has really made companies thinking about um, near-shoring and a new term that has just sort of started to become more popular is friend-shoring. That is finding companies that are still friendly to the U.S., that you could get some of the benefits in terms of lower labor costs and things like that, but making sure that their government has policies that will enable the free flow of goods, which are critical when you're thinking about that in supply chain.
1: And also coming up in the um, within the first quarter of this year will be the you know, three-year mark of the global COVID-19 pandemic. So how has that continued to affect the supply chain throughout this year? And with what has been dubbed the tridemic of COVID-19, the flu, and RSV threatening to, once again, overwhelm healthcare systems this winter, what effect is that expected to have on the supply chain?
0: You know, the, the key aspect clearly um, is that uh, it's it goes back to labor, right? Do we have enough... Um, workers coming to the office and and uh, being able to, you know, actually perform adequately. One of the things that COVID really did was increase the speed of investment into IT so that it was possible for people to work remotely. The other thing that has happened is there's been a profound shift that now it has become completely reasonable for People to work remotely if it was capable. In fact, many of the company leaders that I've talked to have now said that in their companies they're mandating three days in the office because their staff is looking for opportunities to work remotely. You know, they um, one of the companies I know says that they mandate Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you can pick whichever day you want as your third day. You know, Monday, a Wednesday, or Friday, because then you know that people will be in the office for meetings. COVID has also made it possible for people to ask questions about the kind of work they do the work-life balance and really emphasize the need for flexibility now you know especially in supply chain we know that a lot of work cannot be done remotely you know like in transportation warehousing but there are jobs that can be done remotely and uh, you know companies are challenged to explain why they need to have people in, in in the office the other thing that COVID has actually made very very possible is is that now, when people are feeling sick, it's completely okay for them to stay at home. Um, and I think that, you know, years ago, we expected people to tough it out and come to the office with colds and so on. Uh, but now we really want them to stay at home. I mean, that is the norm. We, you know, do not come to work if if you're sick. And I think that that has, you know, definitely impacted the amount of people that are actually working in the office. And and labor issues in general, which I think is something that is really sort of still remaining from uh, COVID's impact on the economy.
1: And briefly, uh, what were some of the other most significant trends or events that had an impact on the supply chain in 2022?
0: Well, you named the two biggest events. You talked about the the Russian invasion of of Ukraine and, of course, Um, all the ramifications of COVID. But a third event that has actually become more important this year, I think it really is related to climate change. There's now a greater realization that climate change is is real and that it needs to be addressed in some fashion. And large companies are beginning to make plans to look at ways that they could potentially reduce some of the impact that they're having on, on the climate. And they're also realizing that consumers are... Willing to make sacrifices to be able to um, perhaps not really become carbon neutral, but at least reduce some of the emissions that that they're doing that could potentially raise um, you know our our temperature.
1: Okay, now that we've set the stage, let's let's turn to the new risk index report. And just to recap quickly, the LRMI, as we've discussed on previous podcasts, is a number between zero and one hundred where greater than 50 suggests increased risk, 50 suggests the same risk, and less than 50 suggests decreased risk. Now, the overall average risk heading into the first quarter of 2023 is 66.96, which is slightly higher than it was in the fourth quarter of 2022, which we're just wrapping up. Um, but down pretty significantly from the all-time high of 72.79 in the first quarter of this year, 2022.
0: So what does that tell us? Well, first of all, there's been a significant reduction in risk. I mean, that that clearly is there. Um, and it is also important to note that the way the index is calculated – the relationship is not linear. So a decrease of five points is significant. So this suggests that a lot of uncertainty surrounding COVID, surrounding even the Russian-Ukraine war has settled, and people feel that they're better able to plan so that they can be more prepared. One of the things that is, you know, all business managers and supply chain managers specifically is that they hate uncertainty you know, when there is greater certainty, there's greater efficiency. Uh, For example, let's take, you know, if a supplier says, look, the product will absolutely arrive in five days, that you can plan for. It's actually a lot more difficult to to plan for if the supplier says, well, it could arrive in, in three days or two days, or maybe four days or five days, because you don't know when you need to have the staff available to unload the product. So I think that the the reduction in risk that you're seeing is that people are getting more comfortable with the um, you know, the kind of uh, impact that's going gone on to the economy and they feel more prepared going forward.
1: Now in the new LRMI, economic risk leads the index for the third straight quarter and is far and away the highest risk um, index out of the 10 categories that you look at every quarter. At 87.97, and just for comparison, the second place, which we'll talk about shortly, is cybersecurity and data risk at 73.42. So what are the some of the main factors that go into economic risk? And what are some of the issues the supply chain professionals participating in the index see as the most threatening?
0: The kind of things that that we ask our um, respondents to consider when they think about economic risk is things like um, energy costs, uh, commodity price volatility, labor shortages, uh, demand shocks, uh, global energy shortages, border delays. As far as some of the things that supply chain professionals see as most threatening uh, related to the economic risk index is clearly the war in the Ukraine and the impact that it has um, you know, on, on the global economy. The rising price of oil uh, and the rising price of, uh, of diesel and natural gas, again, very much affected by the war in Ukraine. Uh, another factor that uh, people actually wrote about in the report was they're worried about inflation. Uh, inflation has come down a little bit from the last quarter, um, but still it, it is relatively high compared to what it was a year ago. Another issue is the still there is a lot of pent up demand in certain uh, sectors, you know. So you could see that um, when COVID came, a lot of that was, um, you know, was sort of reduced demand and was waiting for a time now when products are available so there is um that kind of increased demand and finally big issue is is labor um there is still a significant shortage of labor in in many key industries and the companies that i talked to still talk about the fact that you know they have um very high hourly wage rates that uh, you know, twenty-five dollars an hour that is still not attracting the kind of people that they expected to attract a few years ago. So the, these are definitely kind of things that affect the economic risk going forward.
1: And for the second quarter in a row, cybersecurity and data risk has the second highest index number, as I had mentioned before, at seventy-three point four two, which is down just slightly from the the previous quarter. So what factors enter into that category? And what are some of the biggest threats in cybersecurity and data risk that uh, concern supply chain professionals?
0: So the kind of factors we ask them to think about are are cyber attacks, data corruption, data theft, system viruses, hardware software issues, security platform controls. Um, And the biggest threats that um, you know the people who um, wrote on on the report, or uh, one of the things is, is is that there's greater labor turnover, which means that you know the new people that are coming in are not as trained as well on the security protocol. Workers um, there's um, mm-hmm. more reliance on increased remote work, and when you're working remotely, obviously that all leads to greater risks, um, and you know attacks uh, are also getting more and more sophisticated. Uh, so people, you know, this is always sort of a uh, a game where as we put more of a better controls in place, the um, the cyber attackers just come up with some some new method. Um, but I will say that, you know, um, this this is really a risk that everybody knows. But the basic uh, issue is actually people. Um, people can get fooled. Uh, you can have incredible security systems, even some of the most um, largest data breaches have just been people being careless or being, you know, um fooled into thinking something. So, of course, I'm sure you're aware of this a lot of the companies have used a two-step data verification, all sorts of things to try and w- figure out ways because this is a a real problem going forward.
1: The issue of remote work would seem to be one that is a tough nut to crack because, you know, you have employees all over the world. You know, at times all working off of one network. Um, you know, at the main office are uh, going through the same server. So the points of possible attack would seem to have um, increased almost astronomically uh, in the past three years, as more and more you know millions of of workers are working from home with probably varying degrees of security on their, their personal computers.
0: Absolutely. And and you can see that a lot of the companies, some of the companies that I've talked to actually um, you know, provide laptops that are just work-related. They use tokens, they use um, you know, an, an internal VPN system. They make sure that those those laptops don't get, you know, out of the country. And and you know, they have um definitely you're absolutely right that companies are looking at ways to to strengthen that because people sitting on their personal computers um at home they are much more um at greater risk to um you know for these kinds of uh, of attacks but it's it's not you know like a direct attack it's the the little sale that uh, hey look you could win this you could get that it's these kinds of reasonable-looking emails that um, that cause people to get tripped up, and and I think that uh, um, you know everybody that I've talked to suggests that you can have all these network protocols in place, but you've got to keep training humans. It's it's human behavior, employee behavior, that that leads to these issues.
1: Now the third category, highest category, and the the current report is is. An interesting one. It's customer risk and it's in very close to the cybersecurity and data risk at 72.78. But what I found particularly interesting is that it is up significantly from just the last quarter. Um, you know, somewhere in that five to six point range that you had talked about at the beginning you know, with the overall risk as, as, you know, being something significant. So what are the main factors that are driving the customer
0: risk up? So the the factors we typically ask our respondents to think about is, you know, fast changing customer demand, the um, customer loyalty, um, how loyal are they? Is the customer um, demographics changing? Is it, uh, is it hard to predict customer behavior? Is it hard to service the customers? Are the customers being more unreasonable in, in some of their demands? So these are all the factors that, that drive that, that index up. And clearly, uh, you know, um, two quarters ago when it was much, much lower, there was, um, you had customers and, and it was a, a relatively straightforward kind of demand that you could predict. Um, you know, when COVID capacity was tight, you had increased demand. But now, um, you know, now you do have products availability, but everyone is a little bit more worried with inflation. Are the consumers still going to come and buy product? And is consumer demand shifting? As you know, we went all the way to sort of an e-commerce approach. And now, retail stores are are coming back. In in fact, it was just announced that Barnes & Noble, one of the big bookstores, have actually opened up new bookstores uh, because they're starting to see that people are coming back to in-person shopping. So the way that this is, you know, the risk index is there is is that it's harder to predict what the customer is going to do. And you've also had a, a couple of the large retail stores, both Target and Walmart, um, just a quarter ago saying that they are flush with inventory and they're hoping that consumers will come back and 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 buy all, all the product that they've already stored because they were worried that they were not going to get product in time. So they bought product six months in advance of what they normally buy just to make sure the product was available. So this uh, risk is, is that we are not as fully sure that the customers are going to come back and buy everything. And that's that's one reason probably the risk is high.
1: Another one that I found interesting was uh, transportation disruption risk, which is something we've talked about a lot um, in previous podcasts, looking at the various uh, reports for the LRMI. And it is um, now in sixth place after consistently being um, up near the top. And in fact, in the both the first and second quarters of 2022, it was the highest index category. And I believe that it actually had the highest score that the index has seen in any category at one point. So obviously fuel prices have come down quite a bit from the peak, although they're still high, as we all know. Um, so why is transportation disruption risk seen as relatively less of a threat now compared with um, the other categories?
0: You're absolutely right. The, the transportation disruption risk was the highest ever. That has been the highest risk index in any of the categories of the last, um, you know, two and a half years that, that um, we've been looking at this the major reason that the risk has come down is is that the demand for transportation has dropped significantly as the economy has slowed down this has meant that there's trucks available you know when you're looking at the first quarter uh, of 2022 the the spot prices in the, in the truck market was ridiculous because you had covid issues you had labor issues and and you know you still had demand for shipping product but now Um, a lot of the warehouses are completely full. Um, They need the consumer to come back and buy the products off of the retail shelves so that we can ship products out of those warehouses into those retail stores. So the demand, overall demand for transportation has dropped significantly. So you know you can get a, a truck to haul goods from one part of the country to the other. And so there isn't that that risk. And also remember the uh, the backlog of container ships that were, you know, reached all the way up to about 70 (laughs) container ships in in Los Angeles, you know, at at one time. Well, you don't have that Uh, container ships are unloading. I think they're at one uh, ship waiting. You know, you don't have these ships just driving, you know, uh, going around the ocean uh, waiting to unload. So. All of that has meant that products are flowing through the supply chain and you don't have this um, huge demand and and huge prices. The the prices of container ships have dropped so much and same with uh, truck transportation. So the risk has dropped um, significantly as well.
1: All right. Now, those were the things that I had spotted in the report that I thought were interesting, but I'm sure you probably have more so. Um, what are some of the other trends you've spotted in in other categories that you think we should be aware of?
0: So I, I think the one issue, and we sort of touched upon it, is is labor. Clearly, uh, labor is, I think, the biggest issue going forward. Many companies are still looking to hire. And as I mentioned before, they're not getting uh, workers to uh, willing and able to come in and do the work that is needed to get those products out the door and those kinds of things, both the service industries and the manufacturing industries are really suffering from a lack of labor, especially the smaller uh, companies. And and that has meant that you're just not getting the kind of goods through the economy that that you really uh, need to do for it to be more efficient. So, you know, um, we also don't have necessarily the right labor pool to meet the jobs that are in demand. So there's a bit of a mismatch between the kind of jobs that we need people to fail and the kind of skill sets that the people have. So to me, that is still the biggest issue. And that's going to be a big issue um even going into 2023.
1: Now we started off talking about the, the year that is ending and all of the disruptions and challenges and that we, the supply chain faced during the year. Um, so let's, end on a more optimistic note, um, you know, the dawning of a new year is usually a time for optimism. So what do you see in the supply chain that gives you hope for 2023?
0: Well, the the biggest thing that I'm seeing in in talking to companies and and also in in the LRMI, uh, my sense is is that we are going to have a very mild uh, if any recession that will likely be able to the economy will be able to be back up by even the third quarter you know uh, of next year in other words i see that the economy is is going to recover Uh, you know companies are working with their employees to find more ways to be more flexible find ways to improve efficiency And, and another sign of optimism is is real discussions are going on for ways to to reduce greenhouse gases Um, Companies are rethinking their supply chain to have more inventory available and to make sure that production is closer. So we're getting better at handling large disruptions, especially if it's across the globe. Overall, I I have a strong belief that the U.S. economy is going to continue to grow. And I'm very optimistic that companies are going to become more resilient so that they'll be able to overcome any disruptions because we know that disruptions are going to happen. And I think that That We've learned a lot over the last few years on how to handle major disruptions, and I think that that'll enable us to become even more successful um, when these disruptions happen um, going forward.
1: Zach, it's always a pleasure, and thanks for being with us on Illuminate again today.
0: Thanks very much, Zach. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you about the Lehigh Risk Management Index. As
1: director of the Center for Supply Chain Research at Lehigh... Zach Zachariah and the faculty and students at Lehigh Business are generating new ideas for education and future knowledge in the field of supply chain management. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh Business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. This is Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening.